0: This is a great episode with Jack Catton. He's the son of a four-star general, a uh, cadet wing commander while we were cadets, had a long and distinguished Air Force career, uh, resulting in a major general uh, title until uh, the end, which he gets into in pretty good depth. In fact, uh, uh, this is one of the few chances where Jack gets to tell to the cadet wing and to the the grads what, what happened, and I hope you guys really enjoy this. Well, yeah that's what I said. Jack, I appreciate you being part of this. Uh, I always start with the question what message do you have for the uh, uh, young cadets, the uh, uh, recent grads and the old folks like us?
1: Yeah, well, I'll start with the young ones because I have the wonderful honor and privilege of having a nephew in our legacy class of 2026. Cool. Name Isaac Daniels. Um, and I just saw him last weekend. I was out there for the uh, Falcon foundation uh, board meeting uh, and the uh, Boise state football game and got to spend all, all day Saturday with Isaac. But um, something you and I and our classmates have talked a lot about or you know, before John, and, and this is my encouragement to the class of 2026. And of course, all the cadets that are just in, in school right now. And that is the, um, the lessons we learned there at the academy uh, in terms of the value and importance of honesty integrity uh respect for each other uh, regardless of background skin color faith um are are what really i think propelled us through our our lives to to this point um the opportunities that so many of us have had inside and outside of the Air Force, I think are all due to the wonderful foundation, um, not just the education, but the just the character development that we received back there at the Air Force Academy. I think it's the best start any person could get uh, in life. And so, so grateful for it. And yeah, you know, it's, as I told Isaac, I mean, they're. It's gonna suck on some days. It's just not gonna be fun. Um, but it is so worth it. So hang in there. And this is hilarious. So uh when I saw Isaac, I also was out there for the Air Force Navy game and Jan was with me, my wife. So we got to see him and check in on how he was doing. And um you you'll remember we all had to take boxing. Yeah, eight lessons in boxing, and you know, my mother didn't want me to have to box and she asked my dad to call the commandant and said, would you please tell him that Jackie can't box? You know, how, how fun would that have been for me? Anyway, um, Isaac said uh, that, yeah, he was getting through boxing. And he, didn't, he didn't like it at all, but, you know, he's going to gut it out. And he said, uh, so far, I've only been hit really, really hard once. And I said, well, did you go down? And he said, no, I didn't go down, but I definitely saw Jesus. <laughs> so, <laughs> My point being he's keeping his sense of humor, you know, it, it, some of that stuff's not going to be great fun. But at the end of the day, as you know, John, when we all get together for our reunions, it's a it's a weekend long of storytelling and reminiscing about all the crazy things that happened that we went through together as cadets um, that back then probably didn't, you know, we didn't enjoy that much, but but they they uh, make the stories that we laugh about years later. So um, it's just the best opportunity any young kid uh, can get uh, going to that school and graduating. So that's my encouragement for for those cadets that are in there now. Just it, it's it's worth every every minute uh, so, as you start your life.
0: So that that begs the question: Why did you go there? How did you end up there?
1: Okay, good question for me. So you know, my dad was uh, in the Air Force, and there's some good and bad news in that. Since uh, when I went to the academy, as you know, he was an active duty four-star general. So my my <laughs> my uh, freshman year was uh, had some added pain to it because of who my dad was. Um, but um, you know, I was growing up around airplanes, um, and I just loved airplanes, and and uh, and I enjoyed the the moving and, and going to different places. So. I really wanted to fly airplanes, and when you and I were going to school, you know, it was right there uh, 72, and the Vietnam War, which was a, um, not very popular with our nation, it was going on uh, and, and it just ended, and pilots we, were, we had a surplus of pilots. So my dad said, "Look, if you really want to fly airplanes." Um, you know you can go to many different schools but you're really only guaranteed to get into flying school because the slots are going to diminish is to go to the air force academy yeah and i said i i thought he was right about that so that is why i went to the academy it was my best opportunity to uh, get into flying school
0: and did you uh so growing up an air force kid where, where other places did you live
1: Oh, uh, well, that's an interesting one, you know, because a lot of times uh, Air Force kids are going to see the world. My dad uh, kind of grew up in Strategic Air Command. Um, <laughs> and so all of our assignments were in the continental United States. So we I, we moved like 12 different times uh, before I went to the academy, but they were all in the United States. So we lived in California, we lived in Offutt, Nebraska, which is a big sack place. Uh, you know, he transitioned out of SAC and, and went into, well, of course, we're in D.C. a lot. So he's in the Pentagon for three different assignments. Okay. Um, 15th Air Force Commanders when we we're in Florida, when we we're in uh, um, California. And then he went to be the commander of Military Airlift Command. So my last three years of high school, uh, we were at Scott Air Force Base, Illinois, and, and uh, graduated from Muscoota High School, which is a very cool thing because it, when we graduated from Muscoota, uh our class the class of 76 uh, muscuda high school had six graduates in the class of 1976 which was the highest number ever from one high school well, at which, least at that at least at that time
0: it was greg lewis one of them or
1: was he yeah after, uh, you know, no, well greg uh, lewis was one of them he was a year he was a year ahead of me in high school but he went to the prep school so he yeah. was in our, our class yeah. of 76
0: No, that's cool <laughs>
1: yeah that's right, very yeah. cool
0: so, um, all right. So you show up at the zoo and, and they fire the cannon. How'd that, how'd that treat you?
1: <laughs> you know, I don't know if they still fire off that cannon, but I tell, I, you know, I, I tell this story a lot and you remember it pretty much the same way, I think. But, you know, we show up there and we know it's going to be hard. But those first couple of days, you know, we're, we're, you know, they cut our hair and they made us march around and stuff, but it just wasn't all that bad and if you're like me i'm going well, listen, listen this isn't this not that bad this is going to be then, this is going to be a joke yeah yeah this is nothing and then we're on the terrazzo and that freaking cannon went off and the <laughs> our <laughs> life changed forever i mean i've never heard so much yelling i've never had somebody's you know face that close to my face yelling at me in, in my lifetime i'll never forget it it was quite an experience and then the um you know, the, the mornings when they would bang on our doors, get out of the rack, get out of the rack. I mean, it was, you know, rather it was terrifying. And to the point that (laughs) I would end up waking up about two minutes before they were going to start banging on our doors and you could hear the upperclassmen out there shuffling around. And I'm just going, Oh my, here we go again. So yeah. Yeah. That, that can, and I'll never forget that thing. That was something.
0: I remember the guy coming up to me going, start counting. And I go, (laughs) What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and if I'd been smart, I would have not said anything after he walked away because if you were counting, they they knew they hadn't tortured you enough yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is so funny. Oh, All right. God. And then, uh, so you make it through Beast, and then uh, what was your what was your dually squadron? How are they?
1: Well, um, th- that was great, and then BCT was uh, really fun. Uh, at the, you know, I mean, I, I, I it, it was such a feeling of accomplishment to complete it. And that's what I think I appreciated the most because it, it was hard, but, but we made it. And uh, my second BCT squadron commander was Roe P. Staten. And uh, I was a Jaguar. And I, I told this story actually already uh, to the class of 2026 uh, on their 4th of July thing. Um, you know, Mike Gould and Mike Byron from our class yeah. spent an hour with the class at 2026 and Arnold Hall and uh, Mike had several of us, you know, tell a story um, <laughs> about our, our duly or our basic cadet training. And uh, I told the story, I got to share it with you because, sure. yeah, so we are Jaguars and Roe P. Staten from Dallas, Texas is our commander and he, he is a great leader and, really, uh, demanded a lot from us, but one afternoon we'd kind of goofing off and falling out a little bit and he got severely ticked off at us. And so he got us back into our cadet area and guy had us all out there, you know, in formation and started barking at us about, you know, lack of discipline and being, you know, punks and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. And, uh, Then he comes out and says, I want to know which one of you wussies uh, brought his pillow to Jack's Valley. (laughs) So one of us had brought a pillow. And um, I'm going, you know what? The truth is, I actually thought about bringing a pillow, but I figured (laughs) I probably shouldn't. And so I'm going, man, I'm glad I didn't do it. Well, to make a long story short, it was Dirk Warhane. He knew who it was. And he yells out there, Mr. Warhane. Did you bring your pillow to Jack's Valley? Yes, sir, <laughs> says Dirk. And uh, Staten calls out uh, Fidoa, who was an all-American cross-country runner. The guy was probably 5'8 and weighed 130 pounds. I mean, he could he could run from then until now and not get tired. And so he had Fidawa take us out on a run. And as you remember, we'd run from the cadet area, and sometimes you'd run past where the outdoor theater was and then run a little bit, but then you'd turn around. But there, there were little check marks where we were kind of thinking we'd turn around. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we ran all the way to the rifle range, which, you know, <laughs> was way out there.
2: Yeah.
1: And, and we run back, but, to, you know, but we were, none of us were going to fall out, man. We were going to make it. And we were helping each other out and keeping each other going, and we all made it back to the uh, assembly area. And we're huffing and puffing and wheezing and near death uh, because we had rifles, canteen, web belts. We had all that stuff. And then he says, are you Jaguars tired? No, sir. (laughs) You want to run again? Yes, sir. You know, (laughs) why in the hell would we say something that stupid? You know, you're, (laughs) you're caught up in the moment. And so he sent us out again. Oh, man. That, that was just too much. And that's why we call it the state and death run, because <laughs> we, we go out again, and they literally had a uh, flatbed running behind us. And Jaguars, when they you know jumped off the side of the road, an upperclassman would pick them up and throw them in the back of the truck. <laughs> um, and uh, so anyway, that, that was my funny story from, um, from basic cadet training. But again, my whole point in sharing that is, uh, what a great story today that we relive and laugh about. Um, but it was that teamwork and that, uh, you know, um, encouragement to each other to help each other get through it, which is, you know, what you need in the, in the military. You gotta, you gotta have good wingmen and you gotta back each other up. So that was BCT. Um, then I go over to you were asking about starting the, the academic year. And yeah, I got I wanted to share that story first. But, um, yeah, academic year. Um, one interesting thing I did, and I think it's worth mentioning because I want to do a shout out for the importance of um, athletics at the Air Force Academy. <laughs> so I uh, love playing football and, um, you know, was captain of the Mascuda High School football team, was a running back. But I separated my shoulder in the second game, missed the third game, came back a little early, played the, you know, played the rest of the season, had a real sore groin. I just didn't have a really good senior year because of injuries. Okay. And so I didn't get recruited at all for football. But I just wanted to know whether I had what it took to play intercollegiate football. So I, I walked on at the academy. So even if you're not recruited – in all sports, there at the academy, you you can try out. Yeah. Um, and so I walked on. There were 104 of us <laughs> guys that walked on, and we were ragtag. You know, the the guys that were recruited had you know good looking uniforms, and and we had the stuff that we were you know the rest of the wing used for inter.
0: Yeah, as so, so you see you had the intramural gear. Yeah.
1: I had the intramural gear, and you could tell who we were versus who the real guys were, uh, you know. And it was it was something. Um, but, you know, sheer determination and, 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 and the academy appreciates that, even in, the, in, in sports. I mean, you don't have to be the best athlete in the world, but if you've got the heart and the will and the desire to try, you're going to, pro- you know, you're probably going to make it. And I did. Well, four like, of they us need, they out of a hundred four huh? They need
0: practice dummies. Come on. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, you're right. And that was, that, that's true. Yeah. But anyway, um, I did make the freshman football wow. team, wow. and um, that gave me, um, I, I guess, a lot of lot more confidence that okay, I, I really can do this stuff if I put my mind to it. Which was going to become important during the academic year because <laughs> you know academics there were a whole lot different than than they were in high school, and um, I did I did fine. But you know, I had to realize that okay, you can you can buckle down here and and, and get through it. Um, so just wanted to throw that in there. I, I think the, the lessons learned in, uh, you know, being a Falcon football player were great and the friendships made there were awesome. That's where I really got to know Rich King. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Randy Spatman and Mike Gould and Timmy Cantwell and, and, and those guys and they're friends forever. Um, but that was all, you know, part of being on the football team. Um, I thought it helped out too. Were you guys the Brown Tide? Yeah, exactly. I was on the Brown Tide.
0: <laughs> very, pr-
1: very proud of it.
0: Do you remember the cheer, the little chant?
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: we, yeah. We'll, we'll save it for later because uh, yeah. I'm sure it's not politically correct, but it was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah. And so what was um, – so that got you on the ramps, the jock ramps, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, eventually. But as a walk-on. You would go oh, down no. there and practice, and before you made the team, I had to come up late to Ooh. dinner, Ooh. and I had to report around and find a hole, and, you know, Ooh. that wasn't very much fun. So I'm scoring corners and keeping my chin in and begging for somebody to let me sit at their table. Uh, that that sucked. <laughs> and Since that went paper, on for a couple, <laughs> <yeah, laughs> couple of weeks, but then finally got on jack ramps and fattened up a little bit.
0: Yeah. So what, what could that what dually squadron were, were
1: you in? Yeah. 32. Uh, I was a okay. road runner. Okay. Um, yeah, and a few of us Jaguars, you know, went up to being 32, um, Joe Wysocki, yeah. uh, one for sure that ended up uh, being one of my roommates.
0: And were they an okay squadron? Were they pretty reasonable?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think 32 was very reasonable. Um, we actually had, um, some really good uh, third classmen. Uh, I remember still today. Andy Dichter was my element leader, and he was just super sharp um, and demanded a lot, but he was fair about it. So uh, you know, with through all the knowledge stuff and things like that. So yeah, I thought uh, 32 was a good squadron to um, get raised in as, as a as a duly. Um, I remember being. Very afraid of our um, squadron commander Wolfgang E.K. Gesh. I mean, just <laughs> memorizing his name, you <laughs> know, made me shiver a little bit. Uh, but yeah, no, it was it was a real good it was a good squadron.
0: Well, that that's good. I didn't have a positive. I was in fifteen with a a firstie named Stephen R. Lorenz, <laughs> and they were really, really? on us.
1: That's the same Steve Lorenz that became a commandant later. Yeah. Yeah. And a four star.
0: Oh, yeah. No, he's a famous dude. It just, they were (laughs) a tough first (laughs) year. They were tough tough
1: on you guys.
0: Yeah. They did our formation during the academic year to us. I was going, what the
1: heck is this all about? (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I would think we were probably in the middle to the laid back side of the in 32. I mean, we weren't totally slack we were well trained but it, it wasn't over the top i don't think
0: and then um so you said the academics were uh, different but you, you did okay right
1: yeah i did okay um i, I thought freshman chemistry was going to kill me um <laughs> we all I, really that. <laughs> I know it and i don't know if you remember this and i had chemistry first semester so right before christmas you know we're taking our exams and stuff and I remember that uh, our final GR in chemistry was actually a standardized test that a lot of people all across the country were taking. And I think the Academy is trying to figure out, you know, how, where we stacked up <laughs> and, you know, well, I'm going through that thing and I think they're calling, you know, five minutes till pencils down and I've got like 20 questions out of hundred left or whatever. I mean, yeah. a lot of questions yeah. unanswered. So I just, you know, C, 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 C. I just went C's all the way down. <laughs> and I get home and I'm going, you know what? I might be getting a call over the Christmas break that I'm done. Um, but I got a B. I got a B in chemistry somehow. So God is good. You know, I'd, I'd rather be lucky than good. But a lot, yeah. A lot of C. No, they went, yeah, they went fine. The academics, I wasn't the, you know, I think I was, you know, B, B average. A's, B's, not too bad
0: the one thing i the one thing i remember about chemistry two things the the one the i couldn't figure out the labs i always do the wrong thing the lab oh yeah but and then the other but the most memorable thing for me was we had a gr in the middle of hell week
1: oh my you had it so you had it second semester yeah Mm. and it was oh that that had to be really hard (laughs) It was like, it,
0: it was. It was comforting to be in the test because it was quiet for a few minutes. <laughs> you had had no
1: chance to study. it.
0: Yeah, oh man, yeah. it was it was a rough deal. <laughs>
1: yeah. You know, I, I really I thought our hell week was a, a bit of hell. That was really intense.
0: Yeah, it was something else. That
1: that was something else. But it was but sure, he,
0: glad when it was over.
1: <laughs> yeah. Amen. Yeah. It was all over, baby. That was a good thing. Got got us ready for series. Yes, it did so how was your
0: how was your exposure to Siri
1: okay, so Rich King and I were in the same Siri, and uh I was puppet number one <laughs> and uh King you know he he was he he was trying to escape all the time and and, and, and we were we were always in interrogation and getting punished for something um <laughs> Yeah. But it was, it was wonderful. It was excellent training. And that's yeah. the first time I'd ever um, hallucinated, you know, when they yeah, wouldn't let yeah. us sleep and they made us, you know, sit on those, uh, the
0: one-legged stool.
1: stools, the, yeah, basically one-legged stool or yeah. a four by four. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'd never hallucinated before. And I'll tell you the other thing. And you, I know you remember this, but you remember when we got called out in the compound and basically the Siri was over and they, they, Pulled down the the uh, whatever flag was up there and raised yeah. the American flag. I'll yeah. never ever forget that feeling of pride and patriotism and nationalism. You know when our American flag got hauled up. Well, they that, that was something.
0: I remember they stopped playing the Bells of Rostov and started playing the Star-Spangled Banner, yeah. and we all lost it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I did too. I was crying like a baby. I mean, I was. It was gr- just great to be an American. And yeah. be finished with finished with it.
0: Finished with this crap. <laughs> and then we yeah. got to go to
1: do the trek, uh, track, which which was no fun either. But uh yeah the
0: <laughs> the POW compound was something. Did you uh did you do anything else that summer that, of note?
1: Uh yeah, I did I did um Siri airborne leave. Okay. Um so after Siri I went to Georgia and it was hot as Georgia (laughs) yeah and uh that was fun too but I I you know I um I was going on leave afterwards so one of the funny things was is uh we were living at wright Pat then and my mom had gotten into into tennis and and so she said hey bring your tennis racket home so we can play some tennis together said sure so I had my tennis racket in my b4 bag and of course the the handle's sticking out you know (laughs) And I and I get off the bus at Georgia with my B four bang, and I got a tennis racket, and they <laughs> <laughs> they just kicked my ass. I mean, from the from the minute, I mean, I I didn't even set feet on Georgia before I was already at Georgia, as they say, doing push-ups. So that that was pretty funny. Oh, but, but after, yeah,
0: after Siri eating at that little dining hall, the the mess hall on the base there in in Georgia was great because you
1: could eat all you wanted. Yeah, that's true too. <laughs> yeah anyway that was a fun summer
0: then then you moved on up to a a third degree which what squadron did you roll over to? yeah
1: made a huge move changed one floor and uh (laughs) became a grim reaper in 31
0: (laughs) so from 32 to 31
1: yeah yeah and that, that was a great squadron man the reaper of course now you're third degree so you're feeling better anyway but uh yeah, really strong, good, uh, good squadron in thirty one. Really, really enjoyed it up there.
0: So now I, I need mean, before we get into the, the serious uh, cadet stuff. Did you guys do any pranks or spirit stuff?
2: Yeah,
1: um, <laughs> I um, I was part of the rolling the F one hundred four or pushing the F one hundred four up to the onto the uh, chapel mall area. We <laughs> did that. That was me and our some of our buddies in the uh, thirty two. Um, I'm trying to remember some of the other stuff we did. Uh, we, we pranked our AOC really good. We, we I forget what it is that we got into his office, but no one could figure out how we actually got it in there. Uh, I forget what it was, but it was too big to actually get in there, but we did it. Yeah, we did some pranks. Um, it was fun. And, you know, didn't get caught while we were doing it you had to put everything back to normal. So then they figured out who we were afterwards, (laughs) you know, yeah, but yeah, that was fun. Yeah.
0: Cool. And so then you uh, do the, the upper class uh, third degree year, pretty cool. What, what, uh, anything stand out that year for you?
1: Uh, Yeah. Third class year. I remember my first job in the squadron was being the guide on bearer, So I was real proud of that was kind of an honor. It felt like to me to carry our squadron flag, our guide on, um, I got to, uh, room with, uh, Wysocki, which was fun because he had come up from 32 with me to 31, um, met Wade McRoberts. Uh, he was another one of my roommates. And, um, that was awesome because he was such a, such a good guy. And Wade was so studious and we were, you know, we're all taking similar courses still as, as a uh, third degrees. Yeah. And um he would highlight stuff and I'd be, you know, kind of behind the power curve doing something. I said, Hey, wait, have you studied up for such and such yet? And he said, yeah, I'm done with that. <laughs> you, you can, you can read my highlights if you want. So I would just study his highlights in his, in the book. And that, that guy got, I got good grades doing that. Um, <laughs> so I, I owe Wade McRoberts and his studiousness. Uh, and highlighting things that mattered. And he, he hit it. He nailed it. I mean, he was – I had all the answers. It seemed like – it seemed like he just could almost predict what mattered. Um, and so I'd go in and take those tests, and I'd studied the right things thanks to my roommate. Um, I think – yeah, third, you know, third degree year was just the friendship making uh, with the guys in the squadron, Buddy Lott, Bill Lanning, you know, Stu Young, Mike Gould. I mean, just – wonderfully fun guys and it, it was just good
0: and then you you somehow got on the uh, the big time leadership track
1: yeah um yeah so yeah that happened you know junior year um you know i don't know i don't know how that happens i think at that <laughs> point um you know they're just measuring us on how well we do in our like as Dooley's and our squadron knowledge and air force knowledge and stuff like that. And looking sharp in your uniform and polishing your shoes and all that kind of jazz. But yeah. yeah. So, so junior year, um, I got to be, you know, a Grim Reaper first shirt. That was great being a, you know, first Sergeant, Thought (laughs) that was awesome. Um, and then, you know, I got hauled over to wing staff to be uh, the wing Sergeant major, um, and I learned a whole lot over there. Just, I'll, I'll share a story because, you know, we're going to get to the part, you know, senior year yeah, when I yeah. became the cadet, the cadet wing commander of what I think is the greatest class of all time, class 76, obviously. But, but what I'll share with you is just the, just the, um, the uh, leadership lessons that we were afforded in, in the cadet wing. Whether it was, you know, us, we all had some kind of roles, uh, you know, as juniors and seniors in the cadet chain of command. And um, the story I wanted to share is when I when we graduated, um, I had a full on two months before our, before I had to be in flying school. So lots of lots of time off. And I, I started off by going home and hanging out at my parents house in Southern California. And I had to uh, write uh, an end of tour report. You know, the outgoing wing commander, what'd you learn? What's the state of the wing? You know, just tell us, pass on something that's going to help the next wing commander. And I went, okay, I'll do that. That's, that's nice. I mean, I learned a lot. I, I, I mean, maybe I, I, I learned a lot of lessons. Maybe I could help the guy that replaces me, you know, not have to suffer some of the <laughs> pains that I went through. Um, which were not too many. I mean, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But here's the point of it. So I'm handwriting this thing. We don't have, you know, computers yet. And I I never was a good typer. I, I was I was paying classmates to type my papers because I couldn't <laughs> type in my butt. Lee Lieber was one of them. I just saw somebody uh, a couple of weeks ago that said, hey, I just had dinner with Lee Lieber. And he asked me to ask you, uh, who's typing your papers? <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, thank God for, uh, you know, word processors and computers but anyway uh, so I handwrote this thing my dad was out of the Air Force by then and was working for uh, Lockheed Martin and he said hey let me I'll take I'll take your notes in uh, and, and have my secretary type them up for you I said great and so he did that and when he brought it back and we were sitting down you know before dinner just just talking my dad retired four-star general you know, military airlift command commander, Air Force material command commander. Um, he said, you know, I got a, he said, Jack, I read your, I read your wing commander end tour report. And I, 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 I just can't emphasize to you enough the incredible opportunity that you have had being at the Air Force Academy and learning so much about leadership. Before you ever got started in the United States Air Force, yeah. you said you you yeah. were talking about things uh, and and how to approach situations and how to how, you know, how to do peer leadership, which is one of the most difficult of any. Yeah. Um, how to toe the line between, you know, you know, uh, mistakes and crimes uh, yeah. that, that that people in your command might make Um. I mean, you you are at you're at what I would consider um, lieutenant colonel squadron commander level knowledge already, <laughs> and you're a freaking second lieutenant. Um, and I said, "Wow!" And of course, I don't know if it, I, I I doubt all that, but I mean, for him to say that as a as a an accomplished you know uh, veteran, um, that says a lot for how what we were talking about before, and that is what this academy experience how well it prepares us for uh, our, you know, our careers in the Air Force, Space Force, or, you know, even in the civilian world.
0: Well, I'm not sure whether it was our class motto or leaders like you, but I thought you guys did an excellent job of, of running the cadet wing while we were firsties in a, uh, proper, but also very spirited and very positive manner. And I, I don't know if they still do that, but I was real, I, it was definitely a change from my earlier years there. And, and I thought that was really cool.
1: Yeah. I appreciate that. Thanks for saying that. I hope so. You know, and I, I do think, um, thinking back on it, I think my experience, uh, you know, playing football as a freshman, um, and, you know, because a lot of times when we were at the academy, a lot of the uh, – you, you'll remember that some people thought that the athletes were slacking off. And, you know, you had, you had your guys that were studying real hard. You had your jocks. Um, and, and then you had, you know, some of the cadet leadership that we thought were a little bit over the top, um, anal kind of yeah. whatever. Um, and, and I think to your point, with our class, um, uh, you know, we're the spirit of '76. We are the bicentennial class. We we just kind of uh, got along. We didn't have those delineations. Uh, oh, he's a jock, or he's a nerd, or we did. We didn't have that. We no. were, and still are, the spirit of '76. And that's the way our senior year. Thank you for saying that. That's how we approach stuff. Listen, you know, I'm the I'm the cadet wing commander right now, but I'm I'm still just Jack and, and I am a member of the class of 76.
0: Well, I'm yeah. only yeah. I'm only
1: different in that I've been put in this position of leadership, I you know, period. And so let's figure out how we're going to do this together and do it right. And I think our whole class approached it that way, which made it easier as a cadet commander to command and on the vice versa from your end, I think it made it easier for you to go, okay, that makes sense. I can, I can, I can understand why Jack and the gang saying that and, he, and you guys did it.
0: Yeah. Well, I, uh, I got a question for you. That's uh, totally off base, but who came up with the red, white, and blues, uh, patches on the A jackets?
1: Okay. That's a great question. And, um, I don't know, but I love <laughs> that we did that. I thought and that was fantastic. I, too, and I am, and I've, I have passed that on to the class of twenty twenty six, and I reminded them of it uh, this past weekend when I was there. I talked to their actual freshman class president, and I said, "Hey, you guys need to work on getting your red, white, and blue twenty six on your a jackets because we are the only class that I have ever known of in the history of the academy that had a distinctive patch. And you guys, you guys, all you got to do is ask, and I think you'll get it." Yeah. Um. And so, anyway, yeah. I don't know. Remember whose idea that was, but I sure it was. I'm sure glad we got him.
0: Yeah. No, that was really cool.
1: Yeah. Very cool. So
0: I, I I assume that that kind of leadership responsibility took away any uh, clubs or steam uh, blowing off activities. You or you had to deal with because you probably were busier than anybody else between the academics and the, uh, the leadership stuff. But did you have any clubs or, or, or ways to blow off steam that you wanted to share?
1: Well, you know, I met my to become wife, Jan, and now we've been married for 45 years, um, halfway through my junior year. Um, so, a lot of time with her when I could so I wasn't just at the academy all the time Um, I enjoyed playing golf so I'd still I played golf a little bit while I was at the academy Uh, spent a lot of time with Jan doing all kinds of different things Um, so yeah you know I don't I think it's I'm glad you asked this question because we know as we go through life uh, one of the challenges is a a healthy work-life balance Um, you you do have to blow off steam. You do have to have some fun. Um, and you you know, a lot of, a lot of cadets would go skiing, for example. And I didn't do that much skiing, although I enjoyed it. Um, but your point is important. And that is don't forget to get away from the Academy a little bit (laughs) and have some fun. Um, yeah. Uh, but most of it, that, that senior year was dating Jan and, and, and doing fun stuff with her, going to football games. I, I loved doing sporting events. So we'd go to different academy sporting things because uh, they were just fun. Um, yeah, I don't think I worked myself to death. I, I, I had some fun. I had a lot of fun, actually. That's and sweet. then I had great roommates. You know, I, uh, my senior year, uh, Mike Cunningham was my roommate, third of the year. Uh, Donnie Hebert was – no, he was a group commander. Uh, Rich King was my roommate for a third of the year um and i'm seeing his i can't believe i can't remember his name right now because i'm seeing his face but it'll come to me in a minute i had just great roommates and the other thing that was fun is we'd rotate the rest of the wing staff so i was i was the only poor sucker that was the wing commander for the whole year everybody else rotated you know after three months and then Um, what, what was
0: the reason for that or was that the tradition because i don't recall that
1: yeah well when i was when we were there i was You know, the year before us, um, Bentley Rayburn was the wing commander for the entire year. Okay. Uh, uh, And the group commanders were for the whole year. But the wing and group staffs all rotated. In the squadrons, the the squadron commanders and staffs all rotated. Right. I think three times. Uh, Yeah, that's just the way they did it that year. I don't know for sure what the logic was. Continuity at the top, I think was one thing. Um, And I would think at the level of cadet wing commander, you kind of get it figured out about three, three months in, and then to switch the guy out right when he just finally, or he or she just figured it out. Yeah. um, Then you got to crank it all over again. So I think probably they, they were going for some continuity and leadership and then, and then cycle out the the rest of the staff probably made more sense And, and it worked. I think it worked pretty well
0: now. I know at that level, because when you're on academic probation a lot, you don't get out much, but I know at that level, you get to meet a lot of really cool people. Do you have any interesting, uh, personalities that you've, that you met while, while a cadet that you
1: wanted to share? Yeah. Well, one fun thing was, you know, we're the bicentennial class again. So being a cadet wing commander in, a, in, in you know, 1976 was quite cool. Um, so like, you know, um, Vice President Rockefeller came and gave our uh, commencement address. So, uh, you know, I get to meet him and escort him around, which was kind of cool. Um, the uh, Miss America came out um, and got to meet her and, you know, kind of escort her around to Jan's Disney. Mate.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, forget Rockefeller. Yeah. The heck, yeah yeah
1: i know <laughs> um the, the uh i think that if i remember right i think the the uh, the um rockettes okay uh, the, you know music city whatever yeah. the new york music For city years. rock whatever the Rockets came out i got to meet all of them <laughs> um yeah so j- there was some there was just some fun kind of anytime we had a um concerts our senior year I got to meet you know the uh, the stars that were that were our senior year I got to meet like Karen Carpenter wow. um, I didn't meet Harry Chape and remember he came out I don't remember yeah. what year that was uh, but uh, I didn't meet him but I, I remember meeting a few of the uh, musical groups that came out I thought that was pretty cool did you meet Linda Ronstadt because she was was she our first year I don't remember meeting Linda Ronstadt okay yeah. I don't remember meeting her.
0: All right, that, so she might've been
1: her first, but I don't remember meeting her people listening in. If you get to be the
0: wing commander, you get to meet this, the rock stars. You get to, you know, you. Taylor Swift or whoever comes out to the Academy, you get to meet them.
1: That's <laughs> right. That's a cool thing. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, well, Jack, that's, that's neat. And then graduation. I'm sure that was, you said you had a couple months off before you uh, had to show up for flight training. What, what was that like? What was your, what was, what was your first assignment?
1: Uh, well, before flying school, I spent about 10 days in Hawaii, a couple of weeks at home, a week out here on the East coast at the beach. So I had a really good time. Um, but I went to flying school at, uh, Williams air force base in Arizona, which is no longer a UPT base, but, uh, three parallel runways, great place to learn how to fly, except for it was so hot. So I started in <laughs> August and you know, you're flying T-37s, the uh, park and ramp is black asphalt. <laughs> so you take a, you know, 110 degrees of uh, Arizona heat and bounce it off of black asphalt, it's probably 130 degrees you know, when we stepped in those airplanes. But flying school was, you know, I, I wanted to be there so bad. Um, I was so glad to be there. I, I just loved uh, learning how to fly um so that was a huge that was a great experience and, when you, um, and you
0: did pretty good you were like the number one guy in the class right
1: yeah well i had another really good buddy and you know this guy well mike byron yeah uh, so mike byron and i i think were you know it, it would be hard to say who was better than who so he got the um he got the stick award and i got the commander's trophy as okay the, you know, overall outstanding pilot um uh but yeah we we became such good friends there and um, we weren't really competing. We were just loving flying and for us to both end up doing that well and then we both got um, F-15s. I think we were the first UPT base. This, this is about the third time a graduating class got F-15s at all because the F-15s yeah. were so new. Yeah, um, But we were the first base that had two second lieutenants get F-15s. So This was really fun. So Mike and I are together at Willie. We both get F-15s. So we go together to um, fighter lead in training down in Alamogordo, New Mexico. And then we move together to um, back to Arizona, but this side on the the, uh, other side of Phoenix to go to Luke and learn how to fly the F-15. Then we get assigned together to our first operational base, which was Langley Air Force Base, Virginia. Yeah. Um, and then we get another assignment together back to Luke Air Force Base to be F-15 instructor pilots. So we did like our first six assignments together. Um, so we became dear friends. His wife Cherie and Jan are best friends. Mike and I are best friends. Cool. Um, as a matter of fact, we just together with the Byrons this past August, uh went to Paris for nine days and a day of that at Normandy. Um looking around. And so, yeah, that, that was our first assignment was Langley Air Force Base.
0: I credit him with getting me through because he uh, taught me how to juggle one, one year finals week. (laughs) I bet. We were roommates and he, he, you'll appreciate this. I don't know if you know, if he ever shares this story, but we, uh, we learned how to juggle in in the dorm room. And after
1: finals, we went down to the, uh, the (laughs) shop. You literally learned how to juggle. Seriously. not just juggling three, the time around but you're juggling something
0: no we're, we're three balls throwing tennis balls in the, in the room <laughs> and we we took our little act as the two of us could we, we we had a hat or i can't remember a hat or some some other prop we went down to the uh the academy mall down there some shopping mall and we stood outside a restaurant and uh, we put our hat on the floor and we started juggling in front of the window with all these people watching these two idiots doing this juggling. And, uh, <laughs> little kids would come out and gave us enough money to where we bought our own money equipment. in your hat. <laughs> yeah. And we got, we had a free dinner out of it. So
1: I cannot, no, I've not heard that story. <laughs> that is really funny. Yeah. That's yeah. funny.
0: My, <laughs> Mike was a great guy. And, uh, now, Mike kind of had an advantage on you, I think, uh, at, at least on the stick part of it, because he was the glider pilot of the class.
1: Yeah. That's, that's true. He, he did do the, uh, the gliding stuff, which in hindsight, I, I think the reason I went airborne instead of three nine or whatever we call the soaring program, two reasons. One, I didn't get a soaring ride like we were supposed to. Somehow I missed that where, you know, you got your little orientation in a glider. Um, and I wanted, I was wanting to get something on my uniform. And so, you know, I went to, to um, Fort Benning so I could get my parachute badge okay. and, and have something shiny on my uniform. But, yeah, I, I think and if I went back again, I think I would definitely go into the um, soaring program and, and and do the glider stuff. They also have a, a, um, a flying club there now where you're actually, you know, some some guys are already, you know, got their private license when they get there. So they have a flying club uh, at the Air Force Academy, which I don't think we didn't have one when I was there, but we had the, the soaring.
0: Yeah, well, wait. We didn't have computers back then, so there's a lot of differences. <laughs> You're right.
1: You remember those stacks of computer cards that you yes, put together, and, and if you tripped or did something weird on the terrazzo and you dropped them, and oh my god, it, that was all. Oh uh, uh, yeah, that was crazy.
0: Or and, and if the hanging Chad gave you the syntax area, Chad. No, I yeah. remember.
1: Yeah. Oh, that was funny.
0: So, so you get you're at Luke and you're, and you're doing well and you get to go to SOS. Yeah. Did you do that that in Alabama or did you do that remote? Yeah,
1: I did it in Alabama. So the, the, the even cooler thing that happened to me while I was at Luke as an instructor pilot, was I got to that point where I was competitive to go to the U S air force fighter weapons school. Yeah, And I did, and I did that. And uh, you know, that's where you're getting like most people from Maverick top gun are very familiar with Navy top gun school. As you know, the air Force is, is the, the weapon school. Um, so I was able to go to that uh, and graduate from the air force fighter weapons school. And um, the reason I shared that is I've been back and now I am at the peak of my instructor ability, my F-15 flying ability. And I'm just setting up a new squadron weapon shop there at Luke Air Force Base. And I get a call from my wing commander says, (laughs) hey, you're going to SOS next week. And I went, what? (laughs) No, no, I'm, no, this, I can't. But yeah, I got sent off to (laughs) SOS like within a month of graduating from fighter weapons school, so then wow. I go to SOS, but yeah, I went to Alabama, uh, and that was a, that was a good experience, too, you know, just a, a, a cross cut of a lot of different Air Force specialties out there in our, in our group. I'll tell you a funny story, so at SOS, you know, the first day in there, you, you're in a seminar, and you're meeting your different people, and our, our section leader said, okay, tonight, when you guys go home, I want you to, you know, decide what your personal goals are, over these next six weeks um, and then and, and, and then come in tomorrow and we'll talk about them and then we'll also talk about some group goals. So I do that and um, kind of funny, but seriously, one of my goals was, okay, we have, there's this, I don't know, there's some data to support this that fighter pilots have more girls than boys by a huge number <laughs> and so we have a daughter jennifer already and we're starting to think about okay should we have one more yeah let, let's let's try to have one more and in in a perfect world wouldn't it be great to have a daughter and a son and then i get this surprise assignment to sos and i go <laughs> okay jan here's what we do let's try to get pregnant at the very end of sos when I haven't been flying for four three weeks yeah, or, or you know, or however, however long it was yeah I think it was six weeks long I don't remember and so one of my goals was to get Jan <laughs> pregnant before we left SOS and, um, we get in there the next day and it goes okay we're sharing personal goals I said so Jack what are your goals and I <laughs> led my goal you know I told him and I said and of course he says, is that all of them? And I said, well, yeah, I got one more, but, you know, it's kind of personal. And he goes, well, what is it? And I said, you know, for Jan to get pregnant so we can, you know, increase our, um, uh, our odds of having a, a boy. And the, my whole section loved it. And they said, okay, we're taking, that's one of our section's goals. So one of our <laughs> section's goals was for, for Jack and Jan to get pregnant before the, you know, before the end of SOS. And the sad part is, our section accomplished just one goal and it was that one. <laughs> ah! We we didn't we didn't make we we didn't win any intramural stuff. You know, we didn't win the academic award, but Jan got pregnant. So we we all celebrated that in graduation. We found out two days before uh SOS graduation that Jan was pregnant. Well that's and the then most, we had a and then we had a son.
0: I was gonna say that's the most important objective anyway. So whatever yeah, those other clowns yeah. are putting down, that's not nearly as important
1: as your deal. Yeah,
0: and so you, you have a son and you take him to Japan?
1: That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> so this is kind of funny. So I tell everybody when I'm in you know introducing Jack or telling them about our family that Jack was made in the USA but born in Japan. Um so yeah okay. he, he was he was born in Okinawa, Japan at the, at the Navy hospital over there. So
0: I, I was born in New Mexico, but I, I spent my first birthday in Japan. Oh, really? Yeah. At, at Yakota? Uh It's whatever, the Air Force Intelligence Station, t- t- some somewhere near the Meiji Shrine. The oh, Air Force, okay. The name? That was a yeah, it was smaller Air Force place. Guy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah.
0: yeah, I was born at uh, Walker Air Force Base hospital which is uh, in Roswell where the aliens were doing autopsy. So I <laughs> I get a lot of I get a lot of family flack about that.
1: <laughs> I'm sure about Roswell, you I'm I'm sure you do. That's hilarious. So Kadena, what how was flying in Kadena compared to uh, Luke? Yeah, Kadena was uh really really a great place to fly airplanes. Um we were the only uh F15s um, in that in the theater um, so we were kind of setting this the stage and the benchmark for tactics um, over there in the Pacific um, and in addition to the F-15s we had KC-135s located there with us
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, we had some special 135s uh, with you know the RCs. like the- RC's yeah. rivet joint kind of uh, uh, yeah. stuff And so we were able to, early on at Kadena, start packaging um, forces. And so we would have these things called Kadena Integrated Training Events. And I was the weapons officer there. So this was really fun for me as a wing weapons officer to to really put some stuff together. Um, And we really started developing four-ship tactics, uh, you know, multiples of four. Um, in big packages instead of multiples of two, which is what we really used in Vietnam, mostly were just two ship, uh, you know, flight lead wingman kind of thing. So we were really on the leading edge of tactics development over there at Kadena. Um, and so I mean, I just, I, that, that was just a really learning, growing, tactically rewarding, um, experience over there flying F-15s with, with that wing.
0: So, so you got two kids, you're, you're doing this new leading edge stuff for the air force mm-hmm. and in your spare time, you're getting a master's degree.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You've <laughs> done your homework. Yeah. So, well, this is interesting. You that. So, cause a lot of these, you know, graduating cadets are going to do the same thing. They're going to be getting their master's <laughs> while they're doing their job. But yeah, so I got my, Uh, master's in systems management from the University of Southern California remotely uh, over there in uh, in Okinawa but I was able to um, several of my um, papers or projects were issues I had in the wing that I had to find a solution to uh, a managerial type systems approach solution to Um, and so I could double you know I could solve a problem for the wing and get credit for it towards my master's degree. Um, So that was actually worked out quite well, but I will say this, you remember how relieved we were and excited we were when we threw our hats up in the air on June 2nd, 1976. It was a incredible relief to uh, get that master's degree program completed. I was so grateful to have that done. over there at cadena because to your point extremely busy there yeah. uh, but still you know found it found a way to get the masters done and i you know I, I give probably the academy helped us figure out how to do more things than we should have and, and get them all done you know
0: well, yeah it's all time management and priorities yeah. and everything
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: what uh so and then from from there you go back to dc is that right
1: yeah, I made a pit stop in uh, Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. Yeah, uh, a- a- I was going to ask you about that. So- yeah, so I <laughs> wasn't in the prison. I was on the uh, opposite side uh, of the post going to uh, Command and General Staff College, which is the Army's version of um, Air Command and Staff College at Maxwell. Yeah. And actually, I'm really glad I got to do that um, because I got to really learn a lot more about our Army brothers and sisters Uh, I got to appreciate the fact that, uh, the air force is the right service for me, not the army. (laughs) Um, God bless them, you know, but but they do take a little bit of pride in, in making things difficult, um, where, you know, where we're going to try a more efficient way to get things done. But yeah, it was a great year in Fort Leavenworth, really good for the kids, uh, because, you know, and when you're in school, you have tons more time, you're not deployed anywhere, but I mean, a full on year of just hanging out with Jan and Jennifer and young Jack. Um, we had a really, really good time there in Kansas. Uh, you know, it's a good part of America. They, they, they love their military. So the community was real nice to us. And uh, Yeah, that was a great year. Spent a year there. And then uh, to the Pentagon as a major uh, to work on the, uh, in the air staff for a while. And that was fun.
0: I was going to say, I think that's an important point for everybody who's thinking of the Air Force as a career and and wanting to climb to the highest ranks. And that is get to the Pentagon, but get there early.
1: Yeah, you're probably right about that. Um, And, you know, it's not flying airplanes, which is, you know, what some several of us have signed up to do. Um, But um, you learn so much about how the Air Force really works. Um, and you do have an opportunity uh, to help shape uh, the Air Force you're going to go back to
2: yep. uh,
1: when, you're, when your staff assignment's over. Um, so my job when I was there, I was working in um, Fighter Force Structure Division. It was XOXFT then. Um, but anyway, uh, m- my main job was working on um, the Advanced Tactical Fighter which became the F 22, um, working through the requirements, um, getting, helping get, um, air staff support, congressional support, uh, office of the secretary of defense support. I mean, getting a major program through the wickets, um, is, is a real challenge. Um, and so I got to learn how all that worked and got to be part of, um, those requirements, getting them blessed by the um, chief of staff, and then OSD, and then spent a lot of time over there explaining to Congress why we needed the advanced tactical fighter to replace our wonderful F-15s. So um, my experience in the in the Pentagon because of that, I, it was it was good, and we made it fun. We had I got to tell you a funny story. here. So we had a we had a a conference room. Um, in our little section uh, there in the Pentagon, because we had a lot of contractors would come in, you know, the Boeing's and Lockheed yeah. Martin's and Northrop Grumman's would all come in and pitch their stuff because we were we were trying to figure out, you know, what the fighter force was going to look like, what kind of air to air missiles were we going to buy, what kind of bombs were we going to need, what kind of airplanes were we going to, you know, blah blah blah, and that conference room uh, also doubled as a well, we called it, it was a fighter bar. You know, we had a fighter bar. (laughs) And, um, so we had in there, we had a, we had a helmet rack. So we had our flying helmets there. We had our G suits hanging up. And so we would cruise into the bar and it would just remind us that, you know, this will not last forever. (laughs) We're still, we're still helping our air force and we're going to be able to go back and put those helmets on one day. And, uh, so anyway, um, the funny, two funny things I wanted to share. One is, so that's 87 to 90. I'm there in the Pentagon and, um, the deglamorization of alcohol kind of hit, you know, political correctness is, is beginning. And one of the things was, you know, you know, you guys are too mischievous or, you know, you're drinking too much, whatever. And so an edict comes down that, um, Hey, you guys are going to have to close down the fighter bar. And we go, okay, that's not right. I mean, that, that bar means a lot to a lot of people and it's back to the time management. It's about back to having a little bit of fun when at the end of the day, when you're exhausted and, you know, the the esprit de corps that we learned at the Academy and in our, in our flying units and our, in our air force squadrons, I mean, you, you don't want to lose that for three whole years while you're at the Pentagon. So, um, I went and talked to the three-star XO and I said, sir, we got to, th- this is unacceptable. We, and, and I, I laid it out and I said, so, you know, this we th- we can't overreact to this edict. We, we need to be able to unwind. And he says, you're right. He said, okay. Um, you guys can open the bar. Um, um, Air force historically significant day. <laughs> and I said, yes, sir. And, as God is my witness, John, within less than 24 hours. So so that was one day. By the end of the next day, we had a staff package in there in front of the on the XO's desk. And we had researched. Rich King was part of this. He was in that mafia <laughs> with me. Yeah. We had researched and found uh, some important Air Force significant thing for every single day of the year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. So we're going to have this baby open any day we want. And the EXO just laughed and said, "Okay, just don't advertise. Don't just stay out of trouble." So anyway, that was kind of funny. And the last funny thing is, when I leave there, uh, when I leave the Pentagon, I go up to Alaska uh, to Elmendorf, where I'm going to get my opportunity to be a fighter operations officer and a and a fighter squadron commander. Yeah. And when I took when I took that helmet with the, with the mask that had been in the fighter bar for three years, yeah. And the life support guy got a hold of my mask. He says, sir, where has this been? <laughs> I mean, there was some, I guess there was stuff. In, oh, it didn't work. I mean, I had to get a whole new mask. Sure, but sure. He had never seen anything like it. Because I think, you know, a lot of people had tried it on. A, uh, you know, I think people had tried to drink stuff through the, yeah, who, was, knows? Who, pouring, who knows? They're
0: pouring bad stuff in there, sure. Yeah,
1: exactly. So anyway. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, but that, um, that was my Pentagon experience.
0: Well, you had one other thing, and I'm not sure when this occurred, where where it was, but you got a Claire Chenault Award.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, that came from my time at Kadena. And that was back to um, some of the incredible stuff we'd done. And, um, you know, like those Kadena integrated training events where we've got, you know, fighters and tankers and rivet joints and bombers all working together. And then um, one of the one really cool thing I got to do, and I I do think this was probably one of the biggest parts of me winning that Claire Chennault Award was uh, uh, right the you know as the wing weapons officer, we had a big major uh, operational readiness inspection, and um, this was you know like my senior year at at Okinawa, the year before I I, I left, um, and uh, we had this task um, to, to escort some B 52s from Guam. Then they would fly kind of in, you know, north of Okinawa, but we were going to take them and escort them around the west side of uh, South Korea and then do a simulated, you know, attack um, in, you know, into South Korea. Yeah. And so um, with everything that we had, And so we had one squadron of our F-15s that were at Guam. And so, you know, they escorted the B-52s over to where we were. And then we launched 40 F-15s from Kadena. um, And we kind of picked up the escort role of those B-52s. We had all of our tankers out. Um, We had our, um, our, you know, all matters of 135s out there that could give us a little extra situational awareness but anyway I put together this this package uh, I was the mission commander and it was a cool opportunity to um, you know show what you could do if you had enough airplanes yeah and so basically with, with 40 with 40 f-15s to protect these bombers um, we we had all, there's three major ways to, to do escort. One is, you know, you do a barrier cap where you set up your airplanes and you put like a wall between the enemy and the B-52. So we did that. We, we set up a barrier cap out there towards the um, on the West side of the peninsula. The B-52s flew up from the South behind our barrier cap. So we had a barrier cap. And then when the, when the B-52s did a 90 degree right-hand turn to start their, their, their penetration run yeah. against the simulated targets in South Korea, that barrier of, of uh, F-15s turned into a pre-strike sweep. So cool. we, launched, we launched those, we, we pushed those Eagles in front of the uh, B-52s. Yep. So we had a pre-strike sweep. And then I also had a four-ship of F-15s. Uh, doing a counter-rotating cap above and below the B-52s. So they were in close escort. So we had a a barrier cap, a pre-strike sweep, and in close escort. There was no way any bad guys, simulated bad guys, were going to hit our (laughs) B-52s. And so that that worked. I mean, it was a glorious mission. Um, And one of the funny things was in mission planning, uh, when I was talking to the B-52s who were, you know, their mission planning at Guam, and um, they're saying, okay, we're going to, we want to come in at, you know, whatever altitude, 23,000. I said, ah, I can't do that, man. You're going to be right in the middle of the cons. You need to either be at this altitude or higher. And he goes back and talks to his, his bosses and comes back and says, nope, we have got to fly in at that altitude because that's, they, they were getting evaluated also on some weird thing about their scoring system. They had to be at a certain altitude. Hmm. So these B-52s, Are coming in right in the contrails. You can see them (laughs) from 200 miles away, but you you couldn't you could you couldn't see any F-15s. Obviously, right. So, funny thing is, um, the guys that were the the IG guys that were riding in, you know, some of the um, F-4s and F-16s that were the the adversary air. Yeah. I mean, they're taking off and they see them, and it, it is hard. When you're looking at contrails and you know you want to go shoot what's putting out that contrail, it's pretty hard to pay attention to your radar and realize that you're getting absolutely slaughtered <laughs> by F-15s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we, we crushed the enemy. And so it, it, it ended up working. But um, that was a, a really uh, – the IG just went nuts over that. Um, the whole way that Kadena approached that task um, – I think that's that that it is probably what led to that uh Chenault award and cool. and we'd written our own wing tactics to talk about those four planes you know yeah. uh sections so anyway yeah that was a they're very I was very humbled by getting that award it was a team effort but I got credit for a lot of it
0: did you uh have something similar up in Elmendorf
1: yeah elmendorf Another incredibly wonderful place to fly airplanes because of just all, you know, Alaska's big, and there's so much range space that you can uh, fly supersonic over without having to worry about, you know, uh, upsetting animals or tribes or people or cities or whatever. Oh, come on. The the caribou
0: caribou get mad at you.
1: They they get a little (laughs) mad. But yeah, um, Alaska was just tremendous and another great place for the family because it was just it's beautiful up there it's dark in the winter for sure um you know and the days are short but in the summer uh, the days are long and um it, we had a lot of fun doing outdoor activities as a family i got to be a fighter squadron commander which was the i uh, still probably the best job ever um because wanna... the span of controls perfect, the camaraderie you can you can establish. That um, I just I just really really enjoyed being a fighter squadron commander. It was my um, favorite
0: place as, as a kid. We lived there from fourth grade.
1: Did you really? Yeah. Well, you know you know what I'm talking about then. Oh
0: yeah, no we 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 left Anchorage uh, two months after the big earthquake, <laughs> and then my dad got wow got stationed as a instructor, uh, or actually did. Air Force Air Command and Staff College, then an instructor in SOS. So we left Anchorage, Alaska, in the summer of '64, and moved to Montgomery, Alabama. That was that was wild.
1: Wow, yeah, that's quite a difference.
0: Yeah, but uh, yeah, and that's one of the reasons I like Seattle is because it reminds me of Alaska, but it's not as isolated. Right. Yeah. No, I, I I love
1: the. You're right, but it gets dark everywhere. You know, it's just yeah. 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 Well, the funny thing is, though, it's so light in the summer when we got up there, like in um, June or July, we're out there looking at, for houses because you couldn't get on base right away. So we're going to rent a house in Eagle River for a while. And uh, we lost total track of time. And we went and knocked <laughs> on somebody's door and the person opens the door in their pajamas. and I go, oh, I'm so sorry. They said, well, you know, it is 1015 at night. And I went, Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, So, yeah. You know, you just you lose track of time in the summer.
0: Oh, my God. Eagle River was just a uh, stop on the way up to Palmer when I was a
1: kid. Oh, it's, it's got a lot of people living in it now. Yeah, I know.
0: Yeah. And then you go to you go to another nice part of the world called Mountain Home.
1: Yeah. So. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay, what you're what you're going to find out the theme of this is I didn't have a bad assignment. i mean every one of them was spectacular in some way so i left alaska did a quick year uh, in dc at the national war college okay um and figured uh, we were going to probably stay there and do a joint staff job because i'm at the national war college and you know you got all the services there um so we bought our bought a house here, here in northern virginia and then of course didn't stay in the in uh, in, on the joint staff that's when i went to mountain home and boy am i glad so um i get out of national war college we go out to mountain home and the incredibly wonderful and exciting thing about mountain home at that time was the air force was experimenting with the idea of instead of having all your f-15s at Langley and Luke and, and your B52s at Barksdale or Minot and your KC135s at Offutt and your F16s at Shaw why don't we why don't we have everything that we're going to put in a package and go you know hurt somebody for the right reasons at one base mm-hmm. uh, and so we can we can live together train together and if something happens, we're, we're ready immediately. And that's what the whole idea of the composite wing was. So at Mountain Home, when I showed up to be the ops group commander, we had a squadron of uh, light gray F-15Cs for air-to-air, a squadron of dark gray F-15E Eagles for, you know, strike. We had a squadron of F-16s for strike, but also for suppression of enemy air defenses. So these were seed F-16s. We had our own tankers. Squadron of KC-135s, and we had our own uh, B-52s initially, but then B-B1s. So we, you know, our long-range bombers, all in the same group, Um, and all of them were located at Mountain Home, except for our bombers, where our B1s were at Ellsworth. Um, But man, oh man, was that fun and a smart way to 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 think about training and being. At your peak readiness, and so uh, the year I was there um, was when we were at the point where okay, we gotta we gotta prove to the Air Force leadership that we're ready. So we had our first ever composite wing operational readiness inspection. Uh, you know, about a year into my group command there, and we did great. We deployed to Cole Lake. And uh, we flew these packages, and and we actually had to write um, our own operating instructions for the wing. This is how a composite wing will work so the IG IG could evaluate us against what we said we were going to do. And so that was fun. So we, we wrote our own tactics manuals, basically, and uh, they evaluated us against all of that, and, and we really did great. Um, so that was, that was a glorious year at Mountain Home. And crazy thing was, um, this happened to me a lot in command. You know, you want to be in command for your full two years, yes. if at all possible, because you don't get that many command opportunities. <laughs> and we did great on that ORI. We get back. You know, and about a month later I get it you know they they tell me I'm being reassigned to Europe Going so on. i only yeah, I only got fourteen months in that command, but it was a fast and furious uh fourteen months and and that is a that was a great wing. We were really i mean really, really, really good at what we did. I'll well, give you one example yeah. you know a lot of people. Uh, well, especially in our generation, knows the value and importance of red flag exercises and, and things like that at Nellis and now up at um, uh, in Alaska. Um, but generally, when you go to a red flag and join up with a bunch of different units, um, you fly in on a Friday or a Saturday, and you do a little orientation uh, to figure out how the things work at red flag. And then for the better part of Saturday afternoon, you, you're in brief, you meet all the different people that you're going to be flying with and against, you learn all the rules and stuff like that. And you just, it, it just takes a while to, t- to kind of build up your knowledge to, to be able to do a red flag mission. And your first red flag mission is going to be on Monday and it's going to be, a, you know, they're going to get more difficult as the week goes on. Yeah. Well, when mountain home, when we went to red flag, uh, it might have even been a green flag, which means a lot of it was at night with electronic combat stuff. I, 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 we did one of each. I just, But on one of these, um, we, uh, everybody else showed up on Friday. And then on Saturday, when they're all in uh, the big main briefing room watching all the stuff happen, we fought our way in. We took off out of Mountain Home and our B1s took off out of Ellsworth. We got everybody rejoined and we did a red flag mission against all the red flag adversaries on the Saturday before the real red flag even started because the rest of those units were going to fall in on us. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that just proved the point that we we were actually ready to go to the closest thing to combat already. Uh, before Red Flag had even started, so we we could have graduated that day almost because we were that proficient because we we'd flown in and practiced and and trained together. Yeah. Uh, so that I thought was that was a that was a cool, you know. The ORI proved it, but also that Red Flag I think convinced a lot of the rest of the the um, people in the Air Force. Wow, this is man, I'd love to be at Mountain Home. This is a great way to 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 train. But anyway. Well-
0: This is also where you got to fly all the different airplanes, right?
1: That's the first time I got to fly a lot of different airplanes. Yeah, because it's the ops group commander. I mean, I got to know what's going on in my E-model squadron. (laughs) I I got to fly the KC-135. Yeah. I got to fly the B-1. Yeah, that's the first time I got to fly. A little bit of everything i got to do it again later as the uh, 53rd operational test wing commander too
0: yeah no but I, was, I, I could i i'm smelling somebody wants to fly a lot of different planes <laughs> with this yeah uh, <laughs> yeah so i kinda, do i love it yeah and then and then ramstein uh being part of nato i'm sure that didn't hurt the career at all
1: yeah, no that was also fun and that was one that was probably uh, one of the most fun for the whole family because um Jennifer was in high school. Jack was uh, in seventh and um, eighth grade. And so they were at a really good age to, to travel and appreciate Europe. And in a NATO job, the pace was significantly less than what we had just done at Mountain Home where I was, as you can imagine from everything I just said, extremely busy at work. So we, we had two solid years of a lot of, Travel all around Europe, uh, learning about different cultures. It was really fun. NATO, um, you know, our allies, you know, we're, we're never fighting any war by ourselves anymore. That's for sure. So being able to integrate with them and learn more about them and, um, was professionally very rewarding for me as well. So, yeah, that, that Ramstein assignment was, was a lot of fun.
0: And the career is going so well, they send you off to Columbus. Yeah, yeah. So here, <laughs> this is funny. So we're,
1: yeah, they send me to Columbus. So I, I got to tell you this story. So yeah, yeah. I'm sitting over there, and um, I know when I come back, you know, I'm, I'm on the wing commander's list. So it looks like I'm going to get to be a wing commander somewhere. So I'm thinking, based on my background, I'm probably going to Eglin, you know, to be the <laughs> 33rd fighter yeah. wing commander,
2: yeah,
1: or something like that, because uh, it's a colonel wing, and yeah but I get this call and it's from the four star at air education and training command. He said, Jack, this is general Osway. And I said, yes, sir. I mean, I didn't know. I, I mean, the, I guess this call out of the blue. And he goes, just wanted to congratulate you. You're going to be my next wing commander at uh, Columbus air force base. Which and, is in
0: Mississippi folks, in case which, you. Don't which is,
1: <laughs> yeah, It is. It's in Mississippi. Um, and I had for like, seconds, 10 seconds. I was probably a little bit stunned. I'm thinking UPT. I left UPT a (laughs) long time ago. And then, you know, my brain starts thinking about it. Okay. I'm going to be in an environment with a bunch of lieutenants that are so excited about learning how to fly and are so impressionable. Oh, I'm going to be good at this. This is going (laughs) to be fun. And so um, yeah. So I, I recovered myself quickly and, you know, thank the, the general for, you know, picking me to be one of his wing commanders. And so, yes, we headed to Mississippi uh, in the 14th flying training wing. And, you know, as we've been talking, John, um, it's obvious how much I enjoyed every one of my assignments. But now people always ask me, well, what was your favorite assignment? And huh. that's not easy, as you can tell, as your yeah. listeners can tell. Um, man, I mean, I, this guy really had some great assignments and I loved them all. But I will say this believe it or not, my favorite assignment, and I think for Jan, I know for Jan too, was at Columbus Air Force Base, Mississippi. And it was because of the mission. Um, it, uh, it, you know, the enthusiasm, the excitement, the learning curve of these young, Airmen And there several of them with their brand new wives and maybe some babies yeah. um, getting their Air Force career started was that was the most rewarding um, assignment of our of my whole career. I absolutely loved it. And so did Jan. We had a good command team there um, and we got to help get these young airmen and in many cases their families uh, off to what we thought was a good positive start in the Air Force.
0: And, and then after that one, you had to go to the a real armpit of America and be an inspector general guy. Is that right? <laughs> yeah.
1: So, yeah, another hardship assignment. <laughs> yeah. let's, let's send the captains to Hawaii. Well, it's the least they could do because they took me out of command early again.
2: There you go. There so you.
1: there I am. I'm at Columbus for just a little over a year. I might have gotten 16 months in there, maybe. No, I think it was close to just barely a year. They, but they did send me to Hawaii. So, okay, that's good. So I had to give up Columbus too early. Um, we go to uh, Hawaii, and I'm the inspector general. And, of course, no one likes the IG. Yeah. It's like going to the dentist. You know, no, dentists don't have any friends. IGs don't have any friends. But the cool thing about being on the IG team was if you do that job right, um, you know, like they would tell us. I mean, I'd heard IGs before say that, hey, we can, we can help you. We're here to inspect you, but (laughs) at the same time, you know, we're going to see where you need help. Well, I took that to heart. Um, There were, you know, when we, you know, all the different bases around the Pacific, um, you know, you got issues out there where, you know, Kadena's way far away or Masawa's way out there. They don't have enough uh, um, AIM-9 training missiles to simulate having a missile on board for the pilots. I mean, we were able to, um, while I was on the IG team, to fix a lot of training issues um, across the command, which I thought was fun um, and and helpful. Um, we also got to um, assess command climate, and the PACAF uh, commander at the time said, Jack, can you, when you're on these inspections, can you get a good feel for whether we've got Good leadership out there, because you know retention's always a problem. As free Corps, you know you want you want you want a positive attitude in your units. Can you tell if there's a just a a disrespecting, not nice kind of a commander out there? And I said, Oh, yes, sir. I sure can. There, that's really it. Really is. It's pretty obvious. Uh, when you spend a week with a, with a unit, with a wing, you can, you can, you'll be able to tell. So he had me looking at that, um, which I thought was important. And for the most part, we had wonderful commanders, but you know, every once in a while, uh, you're going to have one of those leaders that just disrespectful, mean, whatever. Um, and we were able to clean out a couple of those. So that, that was good. So yeah, the kids loved Hawaii. Uh, I love Hawaii. My uh, golf handicap got to single digits over there because <laughs> this is funny. You know, I don't hit the ball straight all the time, but palm trees don't have branches. So you know, <laughs> think about it. They're skinny, <laughs> you know, and the, and, the, and the prawns are way high. So if you go into the quote, woods in Hawaii, you can get back out because <laughs> there's more air than there is branches. So there you go. anyway, my handicap got low. A little bit lower,
0: and and you did that for a few years, and then it was back to the states. Uh, yeah. Was it Eglin first or DC? Yeah,
1: okay. No, it was Eglin, and this is when I got to fly more airplanes again. So okay, um, I left uh, the the IG job at, at PACAF and uh, came back to Eglin Air Force Base. And Eglin's got a couple of wings down there. They have the, they have the Air Armament Center there. They also have the forty sixth which is developmental test. That's the blue patch wearers, the, the Edwards kind of developmental test pilots. And then they have the 53rd operational test wing. And that's the the weapon school graduate guys uh, that are wearing the you know the, the weapon school patches. And after the DT guys say, yeah, this this weapon's ready to 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 you know kick it over to the operational guys, then we would ring them out. And, and figure out the tactics, and, uh, techniques, and procedures to use a new weapon or a new radar uh, or a new plane, for that matter. And that's what the 53rd Wing did, did was operational test. And the unique command challenge for the 53rd Wing is, um, you know, we had some F-15s, F-16s, and some A-10s right there at Eglin um but for doing operational tests on the b1 well you did that where the b1s were so i had a uh, you know 17 geographically separated uh units mm-hmm. all around america and so you know we did the b1s we did at um Gaius, the <laughs> d52s we did at barksdale mm-hmm. um you know we were we were just spread out all over the place we also had stuff out at edwards with the dt guys so we could do some stuff jointly so anyway, that that was the 53rd Operational Test Wing, um, and I again, you know, to really understand, especially with your K man being dislocated like that, I was on the road of, of quite a bit to to visit with, fly with, and um, you know, talk to my my units spread out across the country.
0: And uh, then it was was it DC next or was it Langley?
1: it was DC. So, huh. so this kind of terrible again, I'm a wing commander again. Yeah. Um, I've been there a little over a year. Um, and, uh, nine 11 happens. Yeah. Um, so at that point i have been there, what, 13 months, maybe, um, 14 months. And so the first thing that happened was, uh, I got sent TDY to Tampa, uh, to CENTCOM headquarters. Because that that command was very very army centric, and what we needed to do over there in response to nine eleven required so much air, uh. It, it you know it's just
2: yeah. And
1: they so they needed uh some more air expertise uh at CENTCOM headquarters. So I got sent there uh, by Air Force leadership to help out. General Genie Mreniar was the was the G three in at or the J3 at CENTCOM, but he was the only air guy there. And so I went and helped him out, and we kind of got, uh, got the air war going. And while I'm there at CENTCOM, uh, at McGill, um, I get a phone call from a tech sergeant at MPC that says, uh, hey, congratulations on your new assignment. We need you to be up at the Pentagon on a certain, certain date. And I went, <laughs> what are you talking about? You know, I, I thought he had made a mistake. Um, truth is, well, he had made a mistake. He wasn't supposed to call me. Obviously, my boss was supposed to call me. <laughs> the but, tech sergeant, um, yeah. but not the tech sergeant. But, you know, I call my boss and he goes, I'll see what I can do about that. Because he, he he really hadn't heard about it either, which is kind of odd. He's a two star. I'm a one star. Uh-huh. Anyway, you know, general officer assignments are, you know, they're no different than any of the other ones we had. When you in the Navy or me in the Air Force is a, you know, you as an incident, me as a lieutenant or a captain. But anyway, um, so I was at McDill when I got that news. I got to go back to my wing uh, at um, Eglin for about three weeks just to kind of pack up and Mm. say goodbye to everybody. And then left um, in December of 01 and came up here to D.C. to be on the joint staff uh and young jack was a senior in high school at that time so he and jan stayed down there in florida so he could graduate from uh, niceville high school and then join me up here in dc after he graduated okay and that's when i got under the joint staff um wow that was really a learning experience um because joint it really means it i mean we're working with all the services but the thing that i didn't realize was the coordination between the joint staff, and the interagency, all the different moving parts of the government in in Washington, D.C. So I I did a lot of work with the White House, with the State Department, with the CIA. Wow. Uh, Yeah, it was fascinating. So I learned all about how the U.S. government works, the good and the bad, um, living up here. So I did um, two years as the J-39 which is um, a was a really interesting job. Um, if you know you know about Ollie North, you know when Ollie North was a major and got in trouble, he was in J thirty nine. So all the covert, uh, super secret, uh, new um, capabilities that we are developing that we can use only if we have only when we really need it. So it'll still surprise the enemy. All that stuff was generated in J39. I, I had, I learned, I never even knew that place existed until I got there. So cool. that was a fat, that was a fascinating job. And then uh, then I got promoted uh, to two star and they slid me over to be the, uh, the director of uh, J7 which was the joint force development training. And it was a cat lots of cats and dogs in the J seven uh, continuity of operations for the U S government. We, yep. we were, we were responsible for that J seven, which wow. was really interesting. Yeah. So uh, all in all, just right at four years on the joint staff uh, before going down to Langley for my, for my last assignment.
0: And so when did you have your last flight as an air force oh.
1: pilot? Okay. Let's think about that. So I mean, which which assignment uh, was the last, yeah. uh, Okay. It would have been at Langley. So my last real qualified F-15, uh, you know, all, every, I can do anything in the F-15C pilot was as the wing commander. It was my Finney flight in, um, November, uh, of Oh one. Cool. Um, but and then I come up to the joint staff, I'm four years to the joint staff. Then in uh, summer of oh five, I go I come back down to Langley as the director of requirements, which is another fun job because now you're responsible for the future of the Air Force. You know, what are our capability gaps? What do we need to stay in front of the enemy? And so you're 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 meeting with industry, you're telling them what you need, you're evaluating what they're offering, you're you know, you're writing those requirements and you're working with your acquisition buddies to go buy the stuff get it on contract but i felt that as the director of requirements i i pretty much needed to know how the new stuff was working so i did some flying not a lot but i but i did a little bit of flying as a director of requirements i mean you know for example we were putting um you know lightning pods or, or I'll, I'll give you a better example well we were doing that too on f-16s and f-15s and we had two different options uh, of of the lightning pod or the sniper pod. And so we were evaluating both. So I wanted to see what, what each one of them did. Yeah. Um, And then we came up with this small diameter bomb, which would let us carry a lot more weapons, especially on our, on our fifth gen airplanes, which were, you know, we're carrying them internal. So we built this small diameter bomb and the first time we're going to use them on F-15s, we're going to be the E-models over in Lake and Heath. So I popped over to Lake and Heath and, (laughs) talk to the wing and said, you guys ready to do this? Blah, blah, blah. So yeah, I got a little bit of flying in there. So I would say my last, um, air force mission would have probably been was either in an F 16 or F 15. And it would have been around, it have been early, you know, probably spring of 2007. Cool. So yeah.
0: in all your 2,650 plus hours, did you ever have any close calls?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, not, not in combat, which is interesting. You know, my generation of pilots, um, some of us, it's odd, especially now, did not get any combat time. So yeah. for example, um, Desert Shield, Desert Storm, I was on a squadron commander up in Alaska. So okay. our airplanes okay. didn't deploy. Yeah. We had to stay up there and protect the Northern Tier. <clears throat> and then um, when 9-11 hit, as we already talked about, you know i'm um i'm at Eglin um but I'm in the operational test business i'm not you know
2: yeah. uh,
1: in one of the combat wings um and I get deployed you know to centcom and then i at mcDill and then I go up to the joint staff so my close calls were just you know typical aviation things where you know stuff happens in twenty six hundred and fifty hours uh you're gonna have a, you're gonna have a few close calls um but but nothing nothing too serious really. no no
0: punch outs no
1: No, no, no punch outs. I tried to run out of gas. I tried to run out of gas one day, (laughs) um, but, but due to really good training, I glided that F-15. You can go a long way uh, if you know what you're doing. And so I cruised in in idle power and a controlled descent for a long time and landed with about 400 pounds of gas which is not not it's a lot in a piper cheyenne one but it's not hardly anything in an f-15 and
0: and i think that the phrase that i've heard a million times and you have too but i don't know if the people listening to this have that means that you are always pretty much on top of your situational awareness yeah i tried to be um you know yeah i've had people say well gosh wasn't it really dangerous and i go well, it was if you didn't have your crap together and it, you can really prevent a lot of bad stuff by just knowing what, you know, what's going on and keeping your parameters in check.
1: You're absolutely right, John. That's exactly right. And I, I'll put in a pitch for, uh, for our flight training in, in America. I mean, we are so well trained. Um, we know how to fly airplanes, but we also know how to stay in front of the airplane and how to react when something doesn't go doesn't go just just as advertised um yeah i i i i think that's a tribute to to how well we're trained um in the u.s military
0: and then i guess the the ugly question is sometimes the situational awareness applies in our non-flying <laughs> life and that uh, yeah. includes things like uh, emails and and so he, however you want to describe it how did your uh how did your transition to the civilian world go
1: Yeah, well, I know it's a lot of people know about this. Most of your listeners won't. But um, I actually did end up retiring from the Air Force uh, probably, well, earlier than anybody expected, including me. Um, I'm doing real well, uh, as it sounds like, through these conversations that we've been having. Uh, God's blessing me real good. I mean, I'm having these great commands. It's going well. Um, But I got myself um, noticed, is how I would put it. Um, and the first way I got noticed was, um, I'm on an airplane flying to Colorado Springs of all places to, to, a meeting at, um, NORAD and I'm on the airplane trying to catch up on emails on my laptop. And one of them is from Bentley Rayburn, who you and I know, cause he was our cadet wing commander when we were juniors. And he has decided he's going to run for Congress, which I think is a very cool idea. He's out of the Air Force. He's going to run for Congress out there in Colorado. And he says, hey, if you wouldn't mind, let, let your classmates know. Because if some of them are in Colorado or, or residents of Colorado, you know, let them know I'm running for Congress. So I said, yeah, I don't have any problem doing, doing that. And um, in that same email trail, I had just gotten an email from our class scribe, Dan Beatty. Who yep. you know, he, he red balls that out to every one of us. And so I'm reading that and I go, Oh, all I gotta do is cut and paste that, his, you know, this thing, yeah, address list and, and, and forward Bentley's email to everybody um, that's on Dan's list in our class. And so I did that. I mean, no big deal. Then I land um, at uh, Colorado Springs, it's dark, it's late uh i get into the queue plug in my computer and just go to bed and then i wake up the next morning and i've got a few responses to the email and one of them was from one of our classmates and said and he says hey jack um hey i i think it's cool that bentley's running for for um congress thanks for letting us know but you sent that from your uh government computer and you probably shouldn't have done that and i said you know what you're exactly right because you know we're, we're apolitical um in the military, you know, we're not I that was yeah. I shouldn't have done that. And I just wasn't paying attention. Yeah. Um and so uh he I said, you're absolutely right. Thanks for that. And so I called uh, back to um Langley and uh told the the um the Jag that I'd screwed this up. I talked to the IT people said how do I recall this thing? I recalled the message and I just said hey I, I may you know I, I sent a personal email out about a buddy uh, running for office on my military computer. And, of course, everyone said, okay, you shouldn't have done that. But, okay, just just pull it, and uh, thanks for letting us know. Hand, so unfortunately,
0: hand slap yeah. time, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically basically a hand slap. It was, a, it was yeah. not a crime. No. I made a mistake. But you well, went viral. I, you went viral. <laughs> I went viral because um, we have an academy graduate uh, that um, is very um, sensitive. sensitive about, well, here's the thing. One thing I said, this was the trigger for this particular guy. Uh, I made a comment, something to the effect about Bentley, who's a really good guy. Wouldn't it be nice to have an academy graduate of character and Christian values in Congress? i just said that and the word christian uh alarmed this um particular person who was on a um a mission he was convinced in his mind that uh there were too many evangelical proselytizing commanders in the air in the military yeah um and uh you know, he wanted an investigation. He wanted me to be fired. He, he wanted all kinds of stuff. So that happened. I went, okay, geez, all right, that's too bad. So, yeah, I, you know, I got to talk to my boss. I get a, you know, a letter of reprimand. You shouldn't have done this and all that stuff. That happened. We weathered that storm. It was ridiculous uh, and unfortunate. Um, and here's why it's really unfortunate because, um, the his this gentleman's claims were totally um, wrong Um, as a commander and especially as a general officer um, you very clearly understand what command influence is what you can and can't do as a commander Um, especially when it comes to something like faith which is a very personal thing you know, it's, it's, it's fine for you to, um, share with people who you are. Uh, I think that's important actually, because as their commander, they need to know, you know, what makes you tick.
2: How are Where you do wired? You,
1: yep. How am I wired? What do you believe in? What's your, what's your moral compass? So yeah, everybody that worked for me knew that I was a God-fearing Christian man. I mean, yep. that they knew it. Um, but, um as a general officer in particular, even as a colonel commander, um, I, I, for your listeners to know, you get in, you get, people are going to get mad. You're going to, they're going to file complaints uh, because they didn't get the job they wanted or, you know, right. they went to jail for committing on a crime, but it was your fault, not theirs. Yeah, That happens a lot. Um, I never, I got very few complaints, thank goodness, but I never ever had anyone complain that Jack Catton uh, made me feel uncomfortable about faith or he tried to make me believe like he did, or he does never, ever did I get something like that. So for that guy to make some of the claims he made uh, was just hurtful and so uh, not right. It felt bad. It felt bad. But so, it's behind what,
0: you're, it. what you're saying to me, Jack, is you were leading by example. Yes. Not by, not by imposition. And I think that's well, the, big, the big deal there.
1: Well, I appreciate that, John. And I think the people that I commanded would say the same. And, and, I, and I wanted to lead by example. Um, yep. So that happened. And by itself, I think that, uh, you know, that, that I, I weathered that storm. Um, but then about maybe six, seven months after that, I'm, I get a phone call. Of course, I think I'm in the Washington Post for that. I think I did get on the on the uh, into the Washington Post for the email, and then about six months later, I get a call again from a reporter. And lesson learned: don't answer calls from reporters, <laughs> or if they ask you a question, uh, tell them, uh, you know. Tell me what your question is. Let me think about it. And I might answer you later. Yeah, the well,
0: third anyway, reaction. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. This, this reporter calls and said, I understand when you were at the Pentagon. So this, what what I'm going to get oh, in trouble wow. for now is actually uh, 18 months earlier. Oh, wow. uh, while I was on the joint staff at the Pentagon. Um, I'll try not to keep this too long. Cause you know, yeah. I know we're getting deep into it. And hopefully you can edit some of this stuff out, but anyway, <laughs> It, 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 it matters just how screwed up America can get sometimes. But anyway, she says, I understand that uh, while you were in the Pentagon, you were uh, you would go to uh, Bible studies uh, held by the Christian embassy and that you made a, a video about that, um, that the Christian embassy work there in Washington, D.C. And I said, yeah, I did. I Yes, I, I, I said, yes, I did. Um as a matter of fact, all of that stuff was uh, approved by the you know, Pentagon leadership, including the video, which we asked to make sure it was OK if several of us general officers participated in it. It was a, it was. We checked it out before we did it. Well, anyway, this same disgruntled individual in uh, New Mexico got a hold of that he was the one that alerted the uh the Washington the the reporter yeah and so the the claim there was now here's his proof that you've got these um evangelical generals uh, I think I was called an evangelical terrorist by this guy (laughs) trying to force our faith down people's throats the military cannot have basically his claim was you can't you can't be a Christian in uniform which is absolutely ridiculous i mean that's yeah. why we are in uniform we're fighting for freedom of religion of speech of everything i mean it's just a totally absurd thing yeah um so anyway he he demands an investigation so they have an investigation and um i'm absolutely convinced you know after telling the dodig okay this is i've got it's all i've got it all tracked you can see the emails is it okay for us to do this video? Because what Christian embassy used the video for was for new people coming into the Pentagon uh, wondering, okay, you know, where am I, where am I going to go to church? If, if I, if I'm a Christian guy and I want to see if there's other guys that maybe want to do an early Monday morning prayer group together, where where do I find those guys? If I'm a Muslim, uh, where do I find fellow Muslims um, in the Pentagon while I'm here? I mean, all, faith groups are represented and cared for in the Pentagon.
2: Yeah. Because
1: guess why? Faith matters. When you're a warfighter, you got to know who and what you believe in. I mean, it's part of a fighter's ethos. Faith matters. The Pentagon gets it. The U.S. military gets it. Um, so, yeah, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be men and women of faith of some kind. Yeah. So anyway, I'm convinced that this thing's going to go away, but it didn't. Um, I'm in the Washington Post front page again, evangelical general proselytizing his subordinates, you know, all those erroneous, yeah. inaccurate, bogus claims. Um, and, you know, timing is everything. So, you know, I've been a two star for a couple of years. Um, i have just about to be nominated to go be the seventh air force commander i've been through the interviews i'm headed to north Korea, not north korea south korea <laughs> to protect to protect us from the north and there's no way uh the Pentagon's going to send my name over to the hill yeah. to um get my third star and do this assignment in the midst of this dod investigation so timing was timing and that they didn't send it and so i said okay I guess, it's, uh, I guess it's time to retire. And so that, that was kind of how I retired. And, you know, it's kind of sad and it felt bad. But I, as a Christian, God-fearing man, I know God's in control and he's not surprised by anything. And it is, it is what it is. And as it turns out, I, I feel blessed by God that he at least let me know that I was going to be a three-star. At least I found that out. You know, before I before I got sent the other way. And he said, You know what? You you could be a three star, but I got other things in mind for you. And he did. And it's all worked out. And I will share this. The yeah. um when uh we got out of the air force and we transitioned, and it was an easy transition. We came back to the one house we had, which was up here that I bought during National War College. We moved back in there. I got this great job with the Boeing Company. Um and Shortly after our transition up here to D.C., Jan's daddy got sick and passed away. Mm -hmm. Jan, One of Jan's sisters got sick and passed away. And the truth is, we'd have been on the other side of the world. And I know I would have had regrets that I wasn't where I could have helped Jan's family and her best. And neither would she. I mean, we'd have gotten her back here. But, you know, when you're that far away, so I really think that was God. He knew all that was going to happen. He said, "You know, I, you 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 need to be here in the United States for family purposes," yeah. and and we were here. So I'm grateful and not um, bitter at all. I, I am sorry for um, sorry that our country can get that confused about what is really going on and read and believe erroneous, ridiculous stuff in the media, that, which continues to go on today, which is really too bad. Yeah. Um, I, I, it's just, I'm, I'm just sad that it happened because it yeah. shouldn't have.
0: No, I, I, I think the free press is very important, but they, they need to be responsible too.
1: Amen. They sure and sure. That,
0: that, I mean, we, we
1: air all
0: our dirty laundry and the truth eventually comes out. And I think that's, that's important for us, but it, it's ugly going through the process sometimes.
1: Yeah, I agree. Well, on the, the other thing, too, is out of the Air Force. So while I'm in and all this is going on, when there's a formal investigation going on, I am, um, my lips are sealed. I am not allowed to share my side of the story except with the IG team,
2: yeah. the
1: investigators. But I can't, <laughs> I can't refute anything that's being said about me or anybody else. That, that was unfortunate. But outside of the Air Force, where I can explain to um, you know, I've been down to Maxwell several times since then. Uh, you know, talk to um, uh, different uh, commanders have invited me out to talk to their their wings and their leadership about how uh, uh, how can you live your faith while in uniform because you can. Um, how do you, how how can you do it? How can you avoid you know pitfalls? Like you got caught in, right or wrong. So I've been—I think I've been able to help a lot of, a lot of um, airmen, of multiple faiths, feel comfortable, um, and not embarrassed or afraid to practice their faith while they're in uniform. So I think that was good too. And you can do that as well in the Air Force.
0: You're not talking about only one faith. You're talking about all faiths. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that that's an important distinction to make for people that are not following this topic real closely and that is you know this is not a unifaith type deal this is uh, the, the u.s says we are not establishing a state religion therefore it's whatever faith you believe in
1: that's right yeah. and and i give the u.s i give the department of defense um due credit for trying to accommodate all faiths. They we the, the department really does that. They know the value of faith in a warfighter and they they really try to accommodate all faith groups. They really do.
0: Well Jack, I thank you for doing this tonight. This has been great.
1: Yeah, it's been fun, man. You got me in a storytelling storytelling <laughs> no, is, mode. Yeah. Uh,
0: let, let's uh let's end this now and then I'll call you right right back. Thank you.